We're working our way through the Lord's Prayer. Our text this morning is Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. He was praying in a certain place, and when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. That's our text. In the name of Jesus, amen. Lord, teach us to pray. Now, that was a strange request because the men who were asking it had been taught to pray ever since they were very little boys, ever since they had been able to talk. They had been taught to pray prayers before meals and after meals, in the evening and in the morning, of course. And they'd been taught all kinds of little short prayers, sentence prayers, that they uh, prayed in all kinds of situations and all kinds of circumstances. And so what prompted their request was that they had never seen prayer like they were seeing it in Jesus. They had never seen so anyone so passionate about prayer. They had never seen anyone so uh, committed to prayer, so disciplined to prayer as they saw in Jesus. And so they came to him wanting what they had, what they saw in him. They came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so the first thing he taught them was about the one whom, to whom they were praying. He said, you know, when you pray, <clears throat> and, he's, and he's speaking to us here too also, the one to whom you are praying is your Father. He's not a supreme being out there somewhere, cold and uncaring, but he's your Heavenly Father. He loves you with a love bigger than you can imagine. The one you're praying to is the one who gave you this precious gift of life. He is the one who has provided for you every day of your living. He is the one who has seen to your redemption, seen to your salvation, and he is the one who loves you so much and is so concerned about you that he wants you to spend eternity with him in heaven. Now that's the one you're praying to. He has a warm heart. So when you go to him, you could go to him with confidence and with boldness. That's the one you're praying to. Now he said, now also, having such a father, such a loving, gracious father, you want to do everything you can to honor his name. You don't want to do anything that would defame his name or pull down his name or bring shame to his name or defame his name. You wouldn't want to do anything like that. And so the second thing you pray is, hallowed be your name. <clears throat> May I write your name over every, air, every area of my life. May I just hold that name high and always honor it. And he's then, then having such a father who loves us so much, we want him to be a part of our lives. We want to be in his family. And so we pray thy kingdom come because we want others to have also what we have. We want them to be in his family too. And so we pray thy kingdom come. Now, he is our father. And so everything in our life, he wants only the best for us in our lives, only the best for us in our lives. And so when he speaks to us, uh, he always speaks to us in very gracious ways. His will for us is a gracious and beautiful will, a gracious and good will. And when he gives us do's and don'ts, and when he gives us yes and no's, uh, that's because he loves us and because he wants the best for us in life. And so Jesus said, pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help me, O Lord, to do your will here and now as eagerly and as wonderful, as eagerly and enthusiastically as the people, as the angels in heaven do it. Now, after praying all of these things, what we've been praying about is our relationship to him. 
because there is no other relationship more important in life than our relationship to Him because our relationship to Him shapes every other relationship that we have in life. Every other relationship is shaped by my relationship to Him. How I relate to Him shapes my relationship to my spouse, to my children, to my friends, the people whom I work with, all of the... Every other relationship is shaped by Him. And if my relationship to Him is not what it should be, my relationship to others will also not be what they should be or could be. So, having prayed about our relationship to Him, then we go on finally now to pray for our daily needs. And we pray this realizing that every need of ours finally comes from Him, that we are entirely, entirely dependent upon Him. And so we pray, Lord, give us our, this day our daily bread. We pray for the basic necessities of life. And when the Lord gives to us more than those basic necessities, then our lives are filled with thanksgiving and with praise. But there is something also which we need every day that is just as important as daily bread because if we do not have this uh, that's also going to affect us spiritually and emotionally and even physically what we need every day also because we are sinners is forgiveness and because we also live in a world of sinners we also need to be forgiving people And so Jesus then teaches us to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive the trespasses of those who trespass against us. Now, after having prayed that though, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive, we realize that we live in a very dangerous world. And Jesus also realizes that we live in a very dangerous world. We live in a world where temptation is constant and where spiritual assault is continuous. We have enemies in this world, spiritual enemies in this world, whose evil intent is to tear us away from our Father, to tear us away from our Father and lead us into hell. We live in a world in which is which a dangerous world with these enemies constantly at us. And so Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation. And that's what we want to talk about in the next few minutes. I pray God's blessing upon my speaking and your hearing. Looking at this petition, there are three things we're going to consider. We're going to consider, first of all, the tempters, and then we're going to consider their tactics, and then we're going to consider the triumph. Tempters, tactics, and triumph. Now, the first, the tempters. Scriptures are very clear about this. Our Father Himself is not one of them. James 1.13 says, <clears throat> When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be contempted by God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. He is dragged away and enticed. Tertullian, church father who lived at the end of the second century, wrote, Far be the thought that the Lord should seem to tempt as if he were either ignorant of the limits of someone's faith or else eager to overthrow that faith. 
Now, the first tempter and the author of all temptation is the devil, the devil. Luther called him the evil one, the evil one. Listen to these words from 1 Peter. Be self-controlled, be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. He's the one who tempted Adam and Eve to turn their backs upon God, led them into sin and death. He is the one who assaulted and attacked Job and brought all kinds of misery and pain and hurt into his life. He is the one, of course, who led Judas to do what he did. Listen to John 13. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And he is so arrogant and that he even attacked our Lord himself. Remember that scene in the, in the wilderness where he attacks Jesus over and over again. He says, you're hungry. Why don't you make bread out of those stones? And, and you're, if you're the Messiah, why don't you call attention and, and make that known by jumping off the temple and see if God won't rescue you? And then he says, bow down to me and I will give you the whole world. The devil the devil is the arch enemy. He is the arch enemy, the number one tempter, the number one tempter. And he is so vicious and malicious, you see. But his ally, he has tempters. The tempter, the, the devil has an ally. And that's the unbelieving world around us, the unbelieving world around us. That's all of those who are following the devil, who want nothing to do with the Lord, the world. That's what the Bible means when it talks about the world. The world is those who have sold themselves to the devil himself. Now listen to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. That's what, that's what this is talking about, the world, where it says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not give in to them. That's the world around that doesn't know the Lord. And Jesus was pointing to this when he said, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. Peter gave in to the unbelieving world around him there in the courtyard that night that Jesus was betrayed, gave in to the world around him out there in the courtyard. Remember that? Now, first tempter, of course, is the devil. Second tempter, of course, is the world. And the third tempter, of course, is our own sinful flesh, our own sinful flesh. Now, Paul had a lot to say about this, writing to the Galatians. Listen to what he wrote in chapter 5, verse 16. He said, Do not gratify the desires of the sinful flesh. For the sinful flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. Your sinful flesh is going to lead you in a direction opposite the way the Spirit would lead you. Well, listen to what he says in verse 19 of the same chapter. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, origins, and the like. That's the sinful flesh he's talking about. Or Galatians chapter 6 verse 8. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap 
destruction. And these enemies, as portrayed in the scripture, and we know too, are vicious and heartless and loveless and evil and determined and persistent. And they work together to accomplish their schemes. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And as you look at the world around you, the society around you today, this just is so relevant and jumps out at us. For our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. These tempters are real, and they are deadly real. And that's why Jesus teaches us to pray every day about them, to be aware of them, and to be praying against them. Because every one of these tempters is attacking each one of us day after day. They never call a ceasefire. You can imagine that, you see. As far as you are concerned, your children are concerned, your relatives are concerned, everyone around you is concerned. These tempters never, never, never call a ceasefire. They are going to be attacking and assaulting every, every day. That's the tempters. Now, the tactics. Luther says their main tactics is to deceive and mislead. Jesus said the devil's a liar. He's been a liar since the very beginning, the beginning of time. And indeed he was, wasn't he? Think of how he lied to Eve. Came to Eve and said, Eve, you know, if you get God out of your life, you're going to be happier. That if you get God out of your life, you can make your own decisions about what is right and wrong and what is good and bad. And once you can make that decision for yourself, you're going to be a lot happier. And she believed that lie and ate and wrought sin and death into the world. That he deceives and he misleads into false belief. You see, listen to this. The devil lies to us and he says you can get good out of bad. Listen to that. You can get good out of bad. You can get happiness out of sin. You can get wrong, you can do wrong, and there'll be no consequences. Now these are the three big lies. Listen again. He says, convinces people that you can get good out of bad. You can get happiness out of sin. And you can do wrong, and there are no consequences. A lot of times I'll hear parents saying things about their children and they know that exactly what their children are doing is wrong. And then they'll say, but I want them to be happy. I want them to be happy. There is no way you are going to get happiness out of sin. God says you're going to reap what you sow. The devil contradicts that and says, no, you won't reap what you sow. Now, Temptation is to be at a point of decision. And every one of us are at these points every day. Temptation is to be at the point of decision. I must decide whether I'm going to be true to my father or true to the devil. Whether I'm going to follow my, follow my father or whether I'm going to follow the devil. I have to make that decision. 
And I make that decision over and over every day. And it's a tremendously, tremendously important decision. Because you see, it's not just a matter of doing wrong. It's not just a matter of sin. Temptation is never just that. The temptation is a means to an end. And the end is this. The devil is intent upon tearing me away from my father. Listen to that. The devil's intent is to tear me away from my father. Because if he can tear me away from my father, then he can do in me and in my life just about anything he wants to do. He wants to tear me away from my father. Now, once this happens, or it begins to happen, then the side effects begin to appear. And those are this. The consequences, doubt and fear and emptiness and loneliness and worry and anxiety and purposelessness and hopelessness and anger and hatred and bitterness and self-pity. These are the consequences these begin to show themselves once this tearing apart begins to happen. Now, this doesn't come all at once. It doesn't come all at once. It comes very, very gradually. See, the devil's very subtle. He's very patient. He always starts out with small temptations. Small temptations. Small temptations that seem to have no consequences. At first, they can even sound like fun, or they can even be fun. Just a little bit of flirting. Just a little bit of flirting. No, no big deal about that. No big deal about that. Just missing Bible class once in a while. No big deal. Just skipping church every now and then. Just neglecting prayer this time. Little by little, he tears me away from my father. Very, very seldom does anyone stand up and shake their fist at God and say, I'm done with you. That's not the way it happens. It happens a little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. But it is so dangerous because sin can take over and we don't even realize it's taking over until it has taken over. Skipping worship once in a while, skipping worship only once makes the second time easier. Sin's power grows every time we give in to temptation. Today there are so many homes that are being destroyed by, by unfaithfulness and divorce. Neither of those tragedies ever happen all at once. They happen one little temptation at a time. One sin at a time. One moment of unforgiveness. One refusal, one little bit of neglect. But that happens a little bit at a time. When I sin and don't repent of it and don't seek forgiveness for it. 
lust, and we see this so often today, and it breaks my heart because I see it happening in our, in our young people, and the devil is just having his way. Lust leads to fantasy. Now listen carefully. Lust leads to fantasy. And lust and fantasy lead to intimacy. Intimacy that should be reserved only for marriage. And that intimacy then leads to premarital sex. Which then can lead to the couple thinking they are in love with one another. Which then leads to living together to see whether it's true. And that can lead to unwanted pregnancy. And that leads to responsibility where there is not the maturity yet to handle that responsibility. And that then leads to all kinds of problems. It leads to hearts broken and children scarred and lives shattered and the ripples go on and on and on for generations even, for generations. And you look at all of this, and do you see why Jesus is saying, pray that every day, lead us not into temptation? What he's saying to you, look and realize you're living in a dangerous world. And you have an enemy that is intent upon destroying your faith and leading you away from your father and leading you right into hell. And this is not a charade. This is not play. This is real. It's happening all the time. And so those are the tempters, and that's the tactics. Now the triumph. In view of all of this dark picture, is really hope. And the Father says, yes, oh yes. Listen to the words of Paul now, because this is where the hope is, this is where the triumph is. He says, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And then listen to these words from James 4. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you you. Listen to that. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. And then Paul writes the Ephesians. He says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Here's the victory. And what it's pointing out to us is this. The victory comes with, comes from our Father. Comes from our Father. That finally the power to say no to temptation comes from our Father. But listen to this, how it happens. James says, submit yourselves to God. First of all, I've got to realize how vulnerable I am. I've got to realize how weak I am. I've got to realize that I need help, that I can only come overcome temptation only with the help of my Father. I've got to have Him to help me say no, because if I don't, I'm going to succumb. So I've got to see how weak and vulnerable I am. And then after I've seen how weak and vulnerable I am, I've got to come to him and seek his word to use that word 
And that's the answer, you see. To seek his word and use that word. That's what, the de- that's what Jesus did in the wilderness. That's what Jesus did in the wilderness. Think of this. If David, when he saw Bathsheba taking a bath, <clears throat> would have looked at himself and said, you know, golly, I'm a weak man and I may give in to this temptation. And he had turned to the Lord and said, Lord, help me, and turned to the Lord's word, he would have never committed adultery with Bathsheba and messed up his family, messed it up so terribly. But he didn't. He didn't realize his own weakness. He didn't realize he needed God's word and God's help. So, well, that's, what, that's how we overcome temptation. I realize my own weakness. I realize I'm vulnerable. And the devil can do with me unless I have my Father and his help. And then I think of Jesus out in, out, you know, on the night of his betrayal. He knew. Jesus even knew. And look what he did. He got on his knees in prayer and then eventually he was flat on the ground with his face in the dirt praying, sweating blood, seeking his Father's help to face what he did the next day. He was a man under temptation that night in Gethsemane. Our Lord was a man under temptation. And that's why he prayed so as he did. And so that's our answer too, you see. God's word and then prayer. And we can realize I'm being tempted. The devil is after me. He is after me. And so I turn to him, his word and prayer. And when I do then, when I do gain the victory, then I give him the glory. I give him the glory. I remember years ago, I remember years ago, one of our ladies who was alcoholic, she'd been through treatment. And uh, she talked about one day how it was so terrible. She knew the devil was tempting her. And uh, she wanted a drink. And she said, and she told me this, that all day long, time after time, every 15 minutes, every 15 minutes, she knelt on her living room floor and prayed that God would help her through the next 15 minutes, not to take a drink. And she said, finally, at 11 o'clock at night, I realized the victory that the Lord had helped me through that day. And she talked about giving thanks to the Lord and praising the Lord because he had helped her through that day. But you see, what she'd done is she'd got down on her knees and she prayed and she remembered the Lord's word. And so we give God the glory when we can say no and come through victoriously. But what do we do when we do succumb? When we do say yes and we know we shouldn't have. And suddenly we feel the guilt and the shame. What do we do then? We go to the cross. We go to Calvary. And we look up. And we see our Lord dying for us. And then we hear him say, It is finished. And we hear his word of forgiveness. And hearing that word of forgiveness, we are picked up. We confess our failure. And hearing that word of forgiveness, then we thank, we give thanks. And we go out into the battle once again.
Forgiveness sends us into the battle with a resolution that we're going to stay close to our Lord. Amen.